How's it going, guys? My name's Ethan. Welcome back to the show. I know it's been a while since I did an episode of Entertainment Alliance, and obviously, I should normally have my co-host with me, but he's not answering, so I'm going to do it on my own, so let's talk about it. So, today's topic I want to talk about very good entertainment, which is a game publisher and developer many people will know. Uh, well, they're known for a lot of things. Uh, most notably, Angry Birds is their golden goose. It's the one that everyone knows from them. Uh, they also make games like Small Town Murders, and they're predominantly an a uh, mobile game developer, but they have broken out into entertainment uh, with films and animation. But I'll talk about why regular entertainment is fucked. <laughs> I know it might seem like quite a weird thing to say and whatnot, especially with the success of something like Angry Birds. But the problem Rovio has, uh, and this is just me being just 100% keep it above 50, they haven't really got much of a vision, in my opinion. Now, what do I mean? They're obviously, they've delisted. Uh, Using Angry Birds from Android. They renamed iOS to Red First Flight, which is a stupid name. You know, they tried to use claims of, oh, well, we're, well, you know, it's, it, having it be Angry Birds Classic Relook had um, a bunch of issues in the uh, search results and it affected the revenue of the other games. The other games are free to play games, by the way, and in my opinion, they're not that good. You know, the games aren't that great. Because they're just full of microtransactions, and microtransactions to me is just a shitty way of monetizing games, especially when a lot of the games are games which were originally developed as paid products and they had content stripped out and sold back to an audience. Now, obviously, they didn't put microtransactions in the original Angry Birds because it wasn't a thing in 2009. Well, it wasn't a thing when Angry Birds first came out, obviously. I know FIFA did it in 2009, but this what it is. So, why does this matter? Well, Rovio is said to be looking at sounds as well. You know, Rovio, to me, is clearly trying to drive up their value as a company to sell themselves to a bigger fish. What I mean by this is obviously, if you look at the headlines, look at if you type the Rovio Entertainment acquisition, you'll see companies like Playtika in Israel have offered about, about just under $800 million to buy Rovio, you know, which is a hell of a lot of money. But, don't know if that deal is going to go through because PlayStation had tried to buy Rovio multiple times before. Hasn't worked out. Rovio has not sold yet. Yet being the keyword, obviously we don't know what they're going to do in the future, or what the plan is. But hey ho, let's hope if they do sell, they improve what they do. See, personally, the game developers or game developers, the companies I would prefer to buy Rovio would either be Apple or Netflix, the reason being because their game services are these subscription-based services which offer tons of games for a monthly fee. They're not got ads, there's no in-app purchases. That would, to me, feels like the best way they could progress with these games if they keep making paid for games and making them good. But Rovio doesn't seem to care. Rovio seems to be more focused on monetization and making as much money as possible they sort of lost the heart. They lost the heart of what made them great, you know, especially within gaming communities. Because obviously, Rovio was huge. Rovio was a huge publisher back in the two, uh, early 2010s. Everyone knew Rovio. They were like, oh, yeah, Angry Birds, Angry Birds. was huge. They had tons of other games. Now, if you look at it on the App Store, it's majority Angry Birds games and not even good ones. They're just... Stuff like Angry Birds Epic is gone. Angry Birds Space is gone. It's stuff like... You know, Angry Birds 2, Angry Birds Pop, Angry Birds Reloaded. These games aren't 
what they should be. They should be so much better. So you've got Bad Piggies and you've got a few other games, which are actually pretty good. Like I said, if you're on iOS, you can still get the original Angry Birds, but it's also been renamed. But to me, it just kind of feels quite dis quite disgusting that Rovio is now focused on trying to monetize an increasingly shrinking audience because despite Angry Birds' huge success, it hasn't held on because Rovio has done so much anti-consumer practices, you know? You listen to Angry Birds multiple times, you know, like what they delisted it once in 2019, they brought it back, they delisted it again on Android, and in the recent interview, they tried to they tried to claim, oh, we, it, it was good for our bottom line, you know, uh, it was affecting the search results of Angry Birds games in the search results. Well, yeah, but you do realise that it's going to affect the search results, because obviously it's the original Angry Birds. You know, the game is called Angry Birds. It's going to come up when you search Angry Birds. The changing search name, then going on, and like, oh, we may not do, we may bring it back, you know, just under a different name. Well, what was the point of you listening it then? Is it, this weird experiment isn't going to work, you know? Because people got annoyed when they heard that Angry Birds was going to get delisted from Android and renamed from iOS. You know, and people have tried to boycott Rovio for a long time. Rovio is not seeing good graces with a lot of gamers anymore. And I feel like Rovio's plan is kind of to try and drive up as much value as they can and sell their company for as much as they can. Because they clearly don't seem to care about the games they're putting out anymore. The games they're putting out don't seem to meet quality standards for a lot of other game developers. But a lot of game developers don't really focus on making good games anymore. It's more a lot of money. But to me, it's just kind of a huge red flag. It's such a, such a sad thing, to be honest. Rovio used to be great, you know? Rovio was the big game, well, they weren't even big. They were the game publisher who made Angry Birds. They were the ones that was making these fun little games that you could play. You know, let's just say, we all, we all played Angry Birds on the toilet. That, that's literally where everyone played Angry Birds. But they focused on monetization, and it's hurt them. It's hurt them as a company. And we're at a point now where Rovio doesn't even seem to be the same company it once was. You know, it's funny when you realize that Angry Birds is their first big success, and it's arguably their only success. You know, they bought studios like Ruby Studio, who had a bunch of casual games, and to be fair, it looks like Rovio's just focused on Angry Birds, because they can't seem to do anything else. Like, Small Town Murders does okay, from what I know. You know, it's what, I've got a free game, so it's, it's clearly done somewhat well, but it's not that major franchise that they want it to be, you know? And Rovio hasn't got another fran major franchise outside of Angry Birds. So, the way they treat the franchise is kind of disgusting to me. Anyway, guys, uh, tweet me on Twitter what you think about this, you know, at Real Ian Holloway. Let me know your thoughts. It'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, you know, tweet me, DM me, all that stuff. And I'm going to move on to the next topic. Okay, guys, uh, the next topic is the Atari VCS and what's going on with the Atari VCS and what will happen with Atari coming throughout 2023. So, Atari CEO Wade Rosen recently confirmed in an interview with GamesBeat that they have 11 games coming this year. These are 11 games from Atari itself uh, that they're publishing or developing. So we, we know of Cavern of Mastery Charge. We know of those games. We already knew. Uh, so we don't really know what those games are. But it'll be interesting to see what they do come to be. But when it comes to Atari, what you've got to realize is the support for their, their home console, the Atari VCS, is kind of seen as like a vital thing for a lot of people in the Atari scene when it comes to Atari, because obviously there's just so much stuff they could do with that, and it just kind of 
Oh no, I don't know how to put it. Like they're not manufacturing McMix, so they're looking for a new manufacturing partner. But they need to obviously widen the gap with those systems. They need to sell them in more countries, obviously, bring more games to the catalog, you know, and focus on expanding the roster. Because the entire VCS, from what I've seen and what I've heard, and from people I've spoken to, like Bliss Coffee Boy, you know, and whatnot, they seem to be seeing Atari VCS as like it's a huge little, it's a huge machine. You know, Atari VCS is basically a micro PC in a console shell. It's what it is, it's quite a unique uh, selling point when you think about it because obviously many companies did that back in the 80s and 90s. You had stuff like Commodore do it multiple times, Atari did it themselves did it multiple times. But to me, it feels like Atari VCS has a big problem when it comes to games because of how many Atari legacy games aren't on the Atari VCS itself. What, what do I mean by that? Well, games like Tempest 3000, which was a Samsung New One exclusive game for a DVD player in 2000. Now that game, from what I've seen, is not on Steam, it's not been re-released. So it'd be, that'd be an interesting game to get Atari to re-release on the Atari VCS now. And obviously bring in, bring in more attention to the, to the service, you know? Well, it's not the system. If people love video games. People want to play Tempest. Tempest is one of their biggest franchises. Adding that game, as an exclusive, or adding it as like time exclusive and then re-releasing it on other platforms, that would, that would boost sales of the Atari VCS and boost sales of games on the Atari VCS because then more people would buy an Atari VCS to buy games and there's that. Another thing they could do is the Rollercoaster Tycoon series. Now, Rollercoaster Tycoon is their biggest franchise. They have tons of games in that series and from what I've said, none of them are on the VCS. You know, there's no Rollercoaster Tycoon on the VCS, which to me, is not a really smart decision because obviously Rollercoaster Tycoon is huge. However, I do think it might come down to the stuff with Chris Sawyer. Chris Sawyer obviously is the one who developed the original two games, so he may have to come in and help code the games for the Atari VCS, where you have to get a third party to code stuff like Rollercoaster Tycoon 3 would have to be coded, and there's just tons of stuff they'd have to do to port the games over. And then what other games would they port over? You know, would they bring a locomotive? Would they bring, you know, Haunted House, Cryptic Grave, you know, would they bring games like Blood and Blood, like Fresh Supply? And, you know, there's so many games that have on services like Steam, which you can obviously easily access and get the games from, like like the 2010 remake of Star Luster and Star Luster, no, Star, I think it's Star Raiders, and um, obviously Haunted House. They could easily get those games, port them over, but then the question would be would people be interested in getting an entire VCS for those games? And I do feel like they would. I feel like people need to look at the Atari VCS in a really weird way, where Atari needs to, in my opinion, focus on being a retro console. Now, people also say that's $400. True, it's $400. But I feel like if Atari pushes enough, pushes enough, and locks enough games, to, like takes a load of their legacy games from Steam, ports them over, like the MicroPros uh, games that they've got on Steam, you know, there's tons of games on Steam from Atari was like 43, you know, and I know quite a few of them like do recharge games and Combinera and Atari Mania and Atari 50 are all on, uh, on VCS. But if they use some of the more legacy games that are more kind of forgotten about, you know, stuff from the actual Infograms library, which they still own, or stuff that they, you know, Micropost library or some legacy games from like the 700 or 5200, which aren't on Atari 50, or some Lynx games, or, you know, maybe Atari makes some deals to get with some small developers obviously like the digital clips or someone to port their older games like the 360 games and you know whatnot to 
entire VCS. That would be quite beneficial for a lot of people because then obviously if you're an entire VCS gamer and you, that's your only console, you'd have a couple more games to play, you know, Engine the Haunted House, Star Raiders, you know, Tempest 3000. You know, there'd be at least 100 games on the VCS then. And there'd be a nice little variety of stuff to play, you know. And that's the core thing with this issue is the entire VCS's game library needs to be expanded on, in my opinion. It needs to, Atari needs to look at their legacy titles and bring as many of them over to the Atari VCS as possible. And I also feel like they could go on, well, if they can raise funds or not, they could go on a spending spree and rebuy back some of the old IPs that they sold. So it's like Glover, Driver, to me, getting those and putting them on the VCS would be a huge win for Atari and could obviously boost interest in the VCS. Because that's the thing is, the Atari VCS is a smaller competitor when compared to Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo. I don't think they're going off that market. I feel like they could go off the retro market and obviously have these games, a whole library of games from Atari's back catalogue as well as working with indie developers and then pushing the Atari VCS as this sort of, sort of similar to the Evercade, but not a card space, as a digital store with a ton of games from Atari. So first party games, obviously, and obviously games from smaller indie devs and whatnot who made these games on Linux. Anyway, guys, let me know your thoughts on this topic on Twitter. If you just put me out really in hallway. And now we'll move on to the next topic. Go. So. Hey, guys, now we're on to our final topic of this episode. And that topic is going to be Netflix Games and whether or not Netflix Games could be the leader in cloud gaming. Now, for those who don't know, Netflix does have a gaming division. It's obviously got six game studios. And if you, if you use uh, Netflix Games on iOS or Android, you can access the library of 60 games. You know, some games are first party games, some games are obviously licensed games. And I just want to basically give a quick run through of what I feel Netflix could do and whether or not Netflix could become a cloud gaming company and whether or not they could obviously dominate in that market. Now, for those of you that know, Netflix has done like interactive media on uh, their service for quite a while. They've obviously had interactive TV shows and movies, uh, sort of like a Black Mirror, Bandersnatch, as an example. They had Minecraft Story Mode as an interactive series at one point, but obviously that's since been removed. But what I feel Netflix could do is Netflix could obviously because they've got the tech, they've, they've done the tech and they've got the experience with, uh, you know, using, utilizing that, they could easily bring some of their games from their mobile division over to actually being on uh, smart TVs and whatnot. Now, my big problem with Netflix games doing this would obviously be, would the games actually run with a controller? How would you actually control the games on a smart TV? Would it be the buttons on the actual remote or just to like, hook up an Xbox PlayStation controller? Or any other third-party controller with Bluetooth, I don't know. That's control-wise, that's what Netflix have to figure out themselves. They want to do this, but I want to talk about what they could do. So, now, so from what I've seen, there's about 60 games from Netflix games, not 70, 60 games on Netflix games, and seven of them are Netflix first-party games. So, games based on Netflix IPs, whatever Netflix has some some sort of influence on. Those include uh, Oxen Free, a game that they fully own. You know, the Free Stranger Things games, a tour to handle game, there at the Baking Bash and Narcos Cartel Wars. But those seven games would be quite interesting to see as the first line on the smart TV section. However, they also have games like Moonlighter, Dustin Neon, and TMNT Shred Revenge, which are console games which were ported to mobile to specifically be as part of Netflix games. Now, what I feel like Netflix could do with them is because they already have a console version. If Netflix can get, say, a version running on Windows, for instance, they could use the Xbox One version or the Xbox Series X version or the Windows version or the Linux version, 
or the PlayStation version, or even the Nintendo version, you know? Now, that's what Netflix needs to do, is Netflix needs to obviously open up into cloud gaming, because obviously, cloud gaming, it might be seen as like, hey, it's a long time away, Stadia failed, you know, online failed, you know, there's no market for it. And to be fair, uh, the executives like Phil Spencer of Microsoft has actually said that he feels cloud gaming is currently complementary. You know, it's complementary to your standard gaming console. And Nintendo, no, Nintendo, Netflix has said they don't want to compete directly with Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo. Yeah, they're trying to go for a bit more of, of, of like, they're trying to use games to people subscribe and engage on Netflix rather than make them a full-scale competitor to your console. Now, this is obviously a big deal because there are tons of games on Netflix games and obviously Netflix owns companies like Splicebox who have a small game library themselves, which none of which are available yet. Now, they could utilize that knowledge in those games to experiment and test it a, a bit. And when you see these games start popping up on, on your smart TV, you know, you can hook up a controller with Bluetooth or whatever, and then hopefully play some of the games and try them out. Now, it has to be a slow rollout process, so Netflix would obviously have to do it so, like, they do it, I know, country by country. So, similar to how they rolled out games originally, where it was, like, it was in Poland first, and then they slowly rolled out. But obviously, say they just they say they experimented to begin with in say UK, US, Canada, Germany, for example, to get the servers running, and then slowly expand those games availability on all the other versions of of Netflix and smart TVs across the world. Plus, it would also appeal to games in countries like Korea, Japan, you know, Asia, where obviously consoles aren't as big. You know, well, I think I was. In some markets, consoles aren't as big in Asia, but where high-speed internet is concerned, somewhere like India, for example, would be a huge benefit for Netflix games to be on smart TVs. Because even though, obviously, India is seen as a third-world country, there are those richer people in India who obviously have the smarter, who have the faster broadband and the TVs and whatnot, who could easily utilize the service a lot easier and don't want to spend you know, thousands on the game console. That's what uh, people need to realize with this. The look of Netflix going to do cloud gaming would also have the issue of everyone's going to have a different experience. But as obviously cloud gaming gets pushed further and further, and obviously over time it'll be tweaked, and obviously Wi-Fi uh, will improve. And then we will see Netflix going to be able to expand outwards a bit more. You know, more games, more, you know, more exclusive games as well, because that's what Netflix games need to really sell itself, you know. Like they can be like, okay, here's a dozen strange things games. Great, but if you can get them on other platforms, why would you want to use them on Netflix? Now, that's what they need to do. They need to focus on making brand new games for Netflix, and obviously they have obviously what series of set series up. They are getting ready to push into gaming, so hopefully we see something new uh, soon, and we see some interesting stuff. But when it comes to cloud gaming, they need to, in my opinion, they need to get on it quite soon because obviously. Xbox Cloud Gaming exists, GeForce Now exists, you know, Lunar exists, you know, Utomic exists, Boostory exists. There's already quite a few cloud gaming services, and Netflix already has the technology and the experience to do a cloud gaming service. So they could arguably be one. They could be arguably jump in and be one of the bigger ones, just straight away. And then sure they can make some acquisitions over time, and then boom, they have one of the biggest game libraries of any cloud gaming service, whilst rivaling companies like Xbox and PlayStation, but also appealing to an audience who don't really game, 
and want to use games as like, you know, just as a bit of time waster, to obviously pay for Netflix to watch their Strange Things or Squid Game or something like that. Anyways, let me know your thoughts on this topic on Twitter at RealIanHoy. And yeah.